and welcome to 90% Hits, a podcast that is usually about the number one singles in the Australian charts throughout the 90s. My name is Danny Yao, and with me as usual is Tim Coyle. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Casey Atkins. Hello, everyone. And down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. Okay, campus, rise and shine, and don't forget your booties, because it's cold out there today. (laughs) (laughs) It's cold out there every day. Uh... This week we are doing one of our regular Choose Your Own Adventure shows. We've talked about every number one single from 1993 and we are going to wrap up that year by choosing our favourite tracks from the 100 singles that were the most highest selling in 1993. Uh, we've all also chosen a movie and uh, we have a special four-sided dice with the movies on it. So, Tim Coyle, do you want to tell us your movie choice? I chose True Romance from 1993. Casey? Um, the classic So I Married an Ex-Murderer. Tim Byron? Groundhog Day for me. And I chose Dazed and Confused. So without further ado, we should roll the dice. Casey, do you want to roll it? Sure. That was True Romance, which means it's Tim Coyle's choice. Uh, and before we ask Tim what it is, let's just go around the room and see what we all thought of for Tim Coyle. Uh, Tim Byron, why don't we start with you? I thought Tim Coyle would choose Runaway Train by Soul Asylum. Ah, uh, I thought Tim Coyle would choose Killing in the Name of by Rage Against the Machine, <laughs> just so they get their <laughs> politics out in a, kind of a Springsteen reference. And Casey Atkins. I had a feeling Tim might choose uh, Holy Grail by Hunters and Collectors. So, Tim Coyle, did anyone get it right? No, no one got it right. <laughs> so, what did you choose? I chose Sleeping Satellite by Tasman Archer. Sleeping Satellites by Tasman Archer, uh, and that was Tim Coyle's choice. Tim, do you want to tell us why you chose this song? Sure. Uh, I remember from about 1992-93, I was going to bed at night with my headphones in listening to the radio, and this song coming on in 1993, it seemed entirely appropriate, and it just seems like such a great song to um, be in the dark listening to mm. and to me at the time it struck me as this very spooky brooding song and i really liked it so that would be why i chose it listening to it now i i, I still think it's it's quite good 
getting back to say Richard Marx's hazard where you feel as though there is a better song in there than what you've been given. That was my impression on listening to it this week. There's a few things about it that mean, unlike some of the other songs I've chosen so far in the Choose Your Own Adventure series, it hasn't aged as well for me as the others. Uh, I felt like this one's maybe declined a bit in my estimation, but I think there's a lot there that you could reach in and bring something really good out. So, yeah, still enjoyed it, but not as much as I thought I might have when I chose it. Right, that's very interesting. Casey? I um, saw this song on the list that we choose from um, for our Choose Your Own Adventures, and I recognised the title, but I couldn't hear the song in my head, and I was like, I I know that that's a thing, and but I, I just can't think of it. And then I put it on. I was like, oh, this song. And I loved it. I just, this week, I, I, I enjoyed it. There was a bit of Law of Diminishing Returns. Um, yeah. And I think I liked it at the time enough, but didn't really think too much about it. But but this week, first couple of times I listened to it, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Really did. I just, it <laughs> yeah, blew right. me away. And then it sort of diminished a little bit. But mm-hmm. I still think it's, it's, it's really, really quality. Tim Byron. This like like Casey for me. Uh, this was one where I saw it on the list, number a hundred on the list of the top one hundred. Yeah. So like, if only something else had like, yeah, had sold <laughs> slightly more, Tim McCall wouldn't have had this choice. Uh, but yeah, I saw it on the list, and like Casey, I was like, I don't know what song this is, and so I pulled it up on Spotify and I searched for it and found it and listened to it, and I was like, oh yeah, this is this song, and um, I. I I guess I kind of remember hearing it at the time. Uh, I guess, but because it, it's it's like it, it's vaguely kind of familiar, but I don't really have much memory of it at the time. Um, to, and listening to it now, yeah, it's all right. It's not bad. It's kind of forgettable. It, it's not forgettable in a bad way. It's just kind of forgettable. Um, and I, I was listening to it and listening to the lyrics and. I wouldn't have ever paid attention to the lyrics at the time, but they're about space and stuff. They're about like how we went to the moon and then we didn't go back. And, um, and that started reminding me like that around 93 or so, I actually wasn't that interested in music. I think, I think I'd sort of turned off for music and what I was really, really into in 1993 when I was 11 was Doctor Who. And in particular, the the novelizations of the old Doctor Who episodes, I collected them. I had like a hundred of them, which was most of them, I think. And um, and this just reminded me, you know, there's Doctor Who episodes set on the moon. I was thinking about Doctor Who as I was listening to this um, and being 11 and, um, you know, reading these Doctor Who novelizations of like, you know, black and white TV shows that I'd never seen and sort of building this world in my head of what Doctor Who looked like, which when I actually eventually saw some of those episodes was very, very different to the the sets falling over kind of thing that they were famous for. So for me, like I was listening to this and I was thinking, it reminded me of being 11 and really, really liking Doctor Who. Cool. Thanks, Tim. Uh, for me, yeah, I knew this song just enough, but it was one of those things where I did have to try to think about it. It was like, oh, yeah, it's that song with that really quite pretty melody, like that that opening phrase that is repeated 170 times in the song, which is all, all the – this is a great bit of the song. Um, but it's it's interesting hearing everyone else talk about how – Quickly, it fell out of everyone's memory. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just sort of, like, it lacked something. It only just got in at number 100. Um, 
And there is something about it for me as well. I remember the song clearly back in the day. It was in there with the sort of adult contemporary Sade's and stuff like that. Heard heard it in a million supermarkets, that sort of thing. Mm. And then I've not listened to this song since that time. Yep. I've never really even, I don't even know if I've even got a compilation with this song on it. I listened to it on Spotify this week. And then, yeah, listened to it this week and just went, yeah, it's still a really nice song, but I don't know if I'm going to listen to it again <laughs> for another 20 years. It's has it, It's missing that. I oh, said so that's a 20 years time when we do 90% hits revisited. Yeah. We're all in our early 40s. <laughs> <laughs> no, early 40s? Early 50s. That was my mouth. Is this like a Doctor Who kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Tim Coyle, for you, I guess, like, is this a song that in between when it first came out and now, and you, you said it's declined in your estimation, but is it a song that's been on your iPod? It comes out every so often. Is it something that you've ever... Not really. It's something that... It'll trigger off some some association might trigger off where I'll remember it often to do with space travel and, <laughs> and that kind of thing. It'll, it'll come up with that. And, yeah, look, I chose it this week because I remember really liking it at the time and finding it just this very, very evocative song. And also just choosing something that I think is a pretty good indicators to where things were in 1993 and what was to come afterwards that Danny talked about, that there was that adult contemporary thing around at the time and also what followed. Sean Colvin's not far away from and she would easily fit within... Ah, the Lilith Fair genre. Yeah, fit within (laughs) this kind of program. I mean, you can just... Disparage it, (laughs) but it was a pretty. It's true. Yeah, it was a pretty big feature. So things like Jewel and um, all of those kind of things, and even I guess you know Cheryl Crow and all that. Yeah, no, Danny's looking at me. Going different. Yeah, those kinds of things which came in its wake. It's a little bit of a harbinger of that, I think. And yeah, I I think it's significant in that way, even though as Maybe we've covered it's a pretty insignificant song in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I actually think it's really deserving of being a, you know, a, a hit song. I enjoyed listening to it this week. And I find, did anybody think much um, about the production of it? I think no, I think kind of what I was saying earlier with looking for what is a good song within this, that was the one thing that stood out, that the produc- production was very... It was of its time, but it doesn't. So, so therefore, well. dated. Yeah, and there's that very weird thing of at the beginning of the track where it's just her and the guitar, and it sounds like it's being played in a fishbowl before the bass kicks in, and then suddenly we're back on land. Mm. And the th- the thing I was thinking about um, in terms of the sound of this song, I was actually surprised you brought up references to Lilith Fair kind of stuff because what I was hearing when I was listening to it was it was in that same kind of early nineties adult contemporary genre as Seal and Crazy yeah, and I, Kiss Like a Rose and stuff like that. I have Seal written down on my <laughs> on my piece of paper right here. I was going to say because because <laughs> it sounds like um, crazy the. Mm. production yeah. of it and the, the tempo the and everything the drums it just sounds like crazy mm. yeah, yeah but that said you have written seal in every single song that we've been spoken about and you just haven't had <laughs> stop <laughs> <clock. got> <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I feel like it's it's 
the, I mean, the little fair thing is there, but I think it is just really adult contemporary, isn't it? It's just that smooth thing. It's it's a bit Sade. It's a bit Tracy Chapman. Mm. Yeah. It's a bit like, and maybe even if we go beyond the sound, and maybe this was me at 93 as well, it was definitely the audience that brought that into that song. Mm. It was kind of older than me, and I kind of probably skewed a little bit more female, and I just, yeah, I definitely didn't buy the single or the album or seek the song out in any sense. Mm. I don't know, if, Tim, if you did, because this is your choice. I I, no, I didn't, I didn't actually seek it out or buy it. It was played often enough on radio that I didn't need to, and yeah. that's the thing. I, I enjoyed it when it came on, and, yeah, it just has very pleasant and nice associations for me, and that's kind of the thing with it, it's pleasant and nice. And it, But you can see that there would be something in there that could just make it a cut above that, but they didn't quite get it with this take, mm. which, you know, as I, as I said, it's of its time. It was produced, uh, it was co-produced by the guy uh, who has been playing keyboard for Paul McCartney for the last, um, <laughs> like... 20, 30 years, Paul Wickens. There you go. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Well, with, that, Wickens. with that said, that... Oh, Wickens. That, yeah. <laughs> that organ solo towards the end. There you go. Uh, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed yeah. that. The Manzarek style Yeah, organ playing. Yeah, that was is... a decent organ solo. I listened to that and I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. And, and it sort of comes out of nowhere because it doesn't, it's not the kind of song where you expect there to be an organ solo in particular. Like you could you could hear like sort of some sort of synthy kind of stuff maybe that was sort of... But it's actually sort of quite forceful and quite organy in 1993. And so, yeah, I listened to that and that was the big surprise, the thing that sort of made the song interesting to me. Yeah, well, there's the kind of the mellotron bit with her voice is in there as well, which is also an interesting choice. But, yeah, that organ solo, I think for me as a 12-year-old, really added to that mysterious, spooky side of things. Because, mm. yeah, look, at 12, I haven't actually listened to a lot of The Doors <laughs> so I, I didn't really know much about that. The, the I didn't know that that's what that organ solo is kind of referencing in a way, or stylistically is similar to. So yeah, it was a little bit revelatory for me when I when I heard it. And yeah, I think it's it's a really great feature on that song. And when I hear it, it was more yeah more of that please. And I think yeah they could have just bought more of that aspect out of it. So. Oh, it's classic Wickens. He always takes it to the line. <laughs> <laughs> On to our second song of the night, Tim Coyle. Do you want to maybe roll the dice? Sure thing. Okay, and it is Dazed and Confused, and so it's my choice. Uh, before I reveal my song, uh, let's go around and see what everyone thought I would pick. Tim Byron. I thought you would pick Dream Lover by Mariah Carey. <laughs> ah. Okay, uh, Tim Coyle. In these things I've begun to basically form my choices along the lines of Danny will choose the most provocative thing possible. So I chose What's Up by Four Normal Ones. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay, cool. Um, after really seriously considering uh, officially choosing Have I Told You Lately by Rod Stewart, I went, <laughs> I went, I went with Runaway Train by Soul Asylum. And yes, it is Runaway Train by Soul Asylum. So here it is. Like a 
Runaway Train, Soul Asylum, a song that I chose as my song of 1993. Why, why did you choose Runaway Train by Soul Asylum, as I thought you would? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, maybe maybe the more interesting question is actually why you you thought I would pick this. I think we may have... I think we've probably spoken about it before, mm. and also you have uh, a bit of a thing for those 90s bands that just had one song and bands with that sort of... Bands with that kind of sound as well. So I know you really like Gin Blossoms and a lot of those kind of bands. So it just sort of fell fell in with with what I know about you. And I think we've talked about this song at length. So I, I, I'm deeply offended that you have said that both the Gin Blossoms and Soul Asylum have only one song. There were several hits by those bands. <laughs> and, and I think also that, that you said Soul Asylum are a '90s band. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean that's the thing. This is when this was '93 and. Uh, and this album, Grave Diggers Union, was the big one for them. But I think that is really the heart of why I chose this song more than anything else, which is I kind of like the bands. I've got the albums, uh, and I listen to these albums a lot, and this is uh, this was the song that got me to go buy that Soul Asylum record. And the song itself, I still love. It's still a great little ballad. It's probably not a, not a super high point in their career. They did more interesting things. They were... Um, they were a bit more of a rock band in the 80s, which I guess Tim Cole was alluding to. They were, you know, they supported the replacements and all those sort of bands. But in the 90s, they did the Red Hot Chili Peppers thing. They wrote a couple of ballads for radio mm. and broke through and made a bit of money and had sex with Winona Ryder and then moved on. So um, <laughs> that's... Oh, the standard 90s now. <laughs> I know, there's so many bands that have that story. But... um. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and listening Calling to it, Ryan Adams, <laughs> and listening to it today, uh, and I guess I do listen to this song every so often, and yeah, my feelings for it hasn't changed. It's still a song that I really, really love. So uh, let's see how everyone else thinks. Uh, Tim Coyle, I mean, you, how did well, you feel about this song? Uh, well, I mean, I thought Tim Coyle would. Yeah, pick t- this. Tim Tim Byron. Yes. Was, Tim Byron was right in so far as yeah, I love this song, and I loved it then. I still love it now, and. Yeah, I, I've listened to this a lot this week. Mm. Just really, really enjoyed it. Bought, it brought back a lot of memories for me. In 1993, I had ended high school. High school lived up to all expectations and was utterly horrible. And, yeah, I think a lot of symptoms of anxiety and depression were beginning to manifest themselves, which meant I gravitated towards mm. this song. And I love sad songs, and my God, nothing gets sadder than this song. <laughs> uh, it is something that I do want to talk about, almost to the point where for, for it's going to become a theme in the next few weeks uh, about those sad songs. But let's move on from that for a second. Tim Byron, what do you think about this song? 
Yeah, for me, um, I think at the time this was a song, I sort of found it like kind of slow and boring, I guess. Like I didn't hate it. It was there on the radio and it wasn't that bad and stuff, but it was just kind of plot, it just kind of plod along. And so I, I think I was just a bit too young and not kind of a bit too much of a happy kid at that point in some ways to kind of really relate to the the deep, dark seriousness of it all and the ah in his voice and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's, it's more um, an than uh, <laughs> but I guess, um, Yeah. So to, to me, like at the time, it didn't sort of strike that connection. And, and to me, um, Solid Asylum are really a one-hit wonder. Like I looked at how they went in the charts in Australia and um, – they had two singles that charted in Australia. There was this and there was Misery, which was the number 22. And I, I listened to Misery and I had no memory of it whatsoever. Like really? I don't, don't remember that time song from the time at all. So the, to me, Soul Asylum were the one-hit wonder who had this and I know nothing else about them. So um, I'm sure Tim Coyle and um, Danny can fill me in on um, their 80s history in Minneapolis with uh, Husker Du and The Replacements. I looked at Wikipedia. Hmm. Hold on, okay, uh, before but... before we go to Casey Atkins, just on that point then, sorry, I know, uh, you do know that Dave Perna went out with Winona Ryder for most of the 90s. <laughs> that was the other thing. That I, was... I, I only found that out today, oh, listening okay. to you guys. Really? I don't even oh. know if it's true. Perhaps you're all lying. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I changed Wikipedia this morning. Um, Casey Atkins, Runaway Train. You do a lot of changing to Wikipedia entries about the bands <laughs> that we talk about, don't you? Um, I loved it then. Abs- uh, I thought it was fantastic, and I thought it was like, like whoa. You know, there was another one of those like 13-year-old, like, whoa, this is so awesome and deep kind of moments for me. And I listened to it this week, and... Um, I found it kind of pleasant enough, but then I started actually listening to the lyrics. I was a key that could use a little turn. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like this pile, to me, it's just a pile of metaphors and similes that don't actually fit together or mean anything uh, thrown together because they sound all right. But Isn't, I, isn't that most lyric writing? Welcome to the most. 90s. Yeah. Welcome to the 90s. I know. <laughs> but um, so I found that the song, it, it was fine on a nostal- nostalgic level because it was like, oh, yeah, this is that song that I liked back then and it's still kind of fine now. But dug a little bit deeper and it's pretty... It's pretty awful, really, lyrically. It's just, it's pretty embarrassing to listen to. So, why? So, Danny, you're, you're there like a blowtorch burning. What, uh, <laughs> what's, uh, <laughs> what else did well, you have to say? I was like a firefly without a light. Yeah. But, um, yeah. that's the, actually the other reason I really wanted to talk about this song, other than other similar songs uh, this week, was my total misunderstanding of what this song was about. Like, for a year, Right, and uh, and even though I saw the film clip, I didn't make this connection because I listened to it on CD or tape or more than I did the film clip. I just kind of thought it was a bit of a love song. I thought it was a bit of like because it's so openly generic. I just thought it was like saying that you just needed a girl, like he was trying to call a girl up in the middle of the night and just wanted to get laid or something, like you know, just and like maybe that's what he did with Renata. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This is Dave's moves on Winona, and and yeah, it's so thing and like it just feels weird now that I really know what the song's about which is only like a year later or something thinking that oh yeah it's a really romantic song and it's not so what is it actually about is it it's about teenage runaways it is, is about teenage because well, it could be I listen I have one reading on it yeah. when I listened to it this week um that thought it could be about heroin you know what it's probably as much about um 
Teenage Runaways as a hard rain's going to fall is about uh, nuclear war. Which is it's it's an interpretation that has since been given to it mm. that is widely accepted. I also but think they that explicitly it's, put that out there with the film with clip the film that clip. this is what yeah. our song is about. But my personal opinion is that it's actually about absolutely nothing at all. <laughs> um, yeah, and like quite literally, the just the, such generic. Little lines like, you know, one more promise I couldn't keep, so tired that I couldn't even sleep, something, something <laughs> that I'm about to weep. And, and it's just all these words that fit together and they roll with the, the melody and stuff. But it doesn't mean anything. No? Oh, and but- and I think that it, it's just so ambiguous that you could draw about any meaning from it. But it's... Mm. But that's so much of songwriting. I mean, there's, there's not the first song that has been great or bad to do that. It's no. it's painting imagery and it's it's sort of expressing a sort of being lost. I mean, I have this problem with you two. You know, it's like friggin' you're dangerous because you're honest. Will you lie to me because I asked you to? All that sort of just meaningless thing. But like, it paints a uh, impressionist image, I guess, for me. So, but um, it yeah. is there was definitely there was definitely a sort of a, a thing in the '90s with all these kind of. Uh, lyricists in alt band alt rock bands who who had these kind of lyrics that didn't really mean anything that didn't have much narrative thread that were impressionist like this that you know you, you could say that kind of thing about nirvana you could say it about smashing pumpkins you could play it about yeah. the whole jam or well, less you could say it about I mean, this band that band you've you've got that generation of lyricists who really wanted to be michael stipe but were swinging and missing mm. because you know he was genuinely completely insane and eccentric uh whereas these guys yeah. were just trying to cop him Mm. Yeah, it's look. I mean, yeah, it's not the work of a lyrical sort of precision guy like Elvis Costello or something like that. It's it is like you know what the hell goes on with like you know crushed her stummies and those sort of songs. It's the same sort of things, right? It's just there's not much into it, but you do bring what you feel into the song, almost like. Um, you know, there's no one knows who my girl is written about. So when you hear my girl, you think of the girl that you're in love with. But that, but that's, I guess, what I keep coming back to with this is that at least my girl is, it is about someone, and, and it's about yeah, sure. someone to him. To me, I, I don't really believe that there was a definitive uh, meaning to it, even. Yeah. I, okay. And so my, I guess the other side of that argument for me is that. And I'm not, I don't know how you feel about this, Tim Cole, but being a big R.E.M. fan, they were one of those bands that did the R.E.M. thing, the graduation to the majors. And I just wonder how many times an A&R guy went back to Solo Solemn and said, we don't hear a radio single, we don't hear... Mm. And it almost mm. seems like this this song, there's something about it. And I think, Casey, you mentioned how slow... Or no, I think Tim Byron, you mentioned how slow it is and how... Sort of thing. It just feels like it's so unlike the band that maybe it was just A and R to death. Well, yeah, but that's the weird thing insofar as you talk about REM graduating. But this sounds like early REM. It sounds like something off Fables of the Reconstruction. Mm. It sounds like Driver Eight. Oh, but it, but, but <laughs> you can hear the lyrics. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, it's cleaner. And it's, it yeah. is it is designed to. I don't know, and it's designed to sell a band, designed mm. to sell a new band. So, do you think? Do you think this would have been a hit if R.E.M. had never existed? No. Like, if R.E.M. hadn't had the big hit with Losing My Religion and then, like, Everybody Hurts, like, the year after and that kind of stuff, do you reckon this would have been a hit? No. Really? No, I don't. No. I think I think a lot of things wouldn't have existed if not for 
losing my religion and um mm. you know and a lot of, and like a lot of terrible bands wouldn't have existed we've talked about that before we've, we've, spoke, we've yeah. spoken of a few of them tonight yeah. so. <laughs> but i think oh something i touched on earlier that's <laughs> 20 sorry one of the uh one of the members of soul asylum played in matchbox is that a fact that is a fact. well there you go um mm. uh there is something going on at this time, and for a while there I thought it was because I was a teenager, but I look back in history and there's no real time where really there was this music about broken homes and broken families. Mm. And so maybe if Pearl Jam didn't exist as well, this song wouldn't have been a hit. But I think because you mm. had songs like Jeremy mm. Uh, mm. and then later on Crash Test Dummies and all these, and, and all these like No Rain, which I guess we won't be talking about, all these songs that sort of had this sort of I'm a freak but... You know, my my I've come from a broken home. I'm a I'm a teenage runaway. There was something about those songs that were really connecting with people at the time, and then yeah. Smashing Pumpkins, which I know Tim Bryan you're a big fan of, really tapped yeah. into that as well. So there's maybe a musical debt uh, debt to REM, and there may be a reason that those bands got signed in the first place. That is a debt to REM. I think those songs would have been written, and for some reason, and I've never been able to work out why. People really like those songs for about five I years. Think, I think it, it connects with a very teenage thing, I think. Of, mm. I, I spoke that I wasn't in a very good place when, yeah. when at the end of 90, 1993. And like I said, if you've experienced a degree of depression or anxiety, those songs do resonate with you. And this song resonated a lot with me because, yeah, the interpretation, interpretation I was drawing from it was, yeah, it was kind of speaking of, completely not fitting in or mm. yeah or off depression so and it, yeah you can read it that way so the question yeah. i wanted to raise or the thing i wanted to bring up um does anyone remember the controversy in australia about the film clip uh, yeah because uh, several of the photo so the film clip featured yeah. photographs of um missing missing people yeah uh, mostly young people and and every region every country would have their own um, would use different photos of different people, of people who were missing within that country. And Australia's featured a couple of photographs of people who were found in the end who have been killed by Ivan Blatt, which when we're talking about right. 19, 1993 was a huge thing at the time. It was... This- well, he was still... I don't know if they'd even arrested him at that stage or... Yeah, I think, he was still at large, I think. I think he was still at large and that was part of the controversy because it was... I don't, I don't know, like stirring it up too much. Thing Like it, it was still under investigation. It was... Issues of it, like, impinging on the investigation or something or something like mm. that. Like, yeah, I, I remember it being a thing. Mm. But like bringing bias to the jury or something like that. Yeah, or something, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, that's he, he was arrested. I just brought him up on Wikipedia. Um, the, the Like, the murders were happening in 92, 93, and he was eventually arrested in mid-94. Yeah. 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 Wow. So, so yeah. right in the middle of it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So and that's the, the point. Yeah. The, spe- the specter of this thing is already there in '93. That's at first, no one, no one really knew why these people were missing. They were just people in <laughs> whose photos came up in a soul asylum clip, mm. um, and then bodies were found mm. in Belangelo, um State Forest, and. The, they were identified and they were these people and all of a sudden it's this very eerie 
horrible thing that's unfolding before you and it's unfolding before you because it's it's hitting very close to home this is part of youth culture this is Mm. what you're listening to on the radio and yeah it's kind of i remember being very spooked yeah by that kind of thing at at the time and yeah that's the other level that was working out for me is like you know kids from different eras will talk about coming of age and the son of sam yeah, killings and all the Zodiac murders or stuff like that. It was, it's a little like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um, it's definitely something that was around at the time, and yeah, it's amazing that Soul Asylum accidentally tapped into it. Yeah, and it, it was it was completely yeah. by accident. But I, as I as I said, I believe that pretty much everything from this song is by accident. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on to our third song of the night. I'm. And this is uh, this this part of the game is will Casey go last again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to roll the dice this time because I haven't had a chance. And no, it is Casey hey. with uh, this song. Well, what came up on the dice was so I married an axe murderer. And Casey, we want to know what your song is, but first we're going to guess uh, what you chose. Tim Byron, what did you think that Casey chose? Um, I thought that Casey would choose "The Weight" by Jimmy Barnes and the Bad Lives. <laughs> I um, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, so it's not that. All right. Uh, I chose Three Little Pigs by Green Jelly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Danny, yeah. When I first met or was told about Casey Atkins. Oh, did uh, my reputation precede me? Yeah. uh, uh, So when I met Casey, well, before I met Casey, uh, someone told me about him and his reputation did precede him. And he, uh, someone told me that basically you can get him as drunk as you want and he can still do the guitar solo. Two Princes by the Spin Doctors. So that was my choice. And I chose Two Princes by the Spin Doctors. things going on but that guitar solo man (laughs) it's just it's so good it's just so beautifully put together 
Um, and, and, and it's iconic. And it was one of those things that, uh, anyone in 1993 that was within four feet of a guitar, at least attempted to learn how to play that solo. And, and then it's just great. And the other thing that I really liked about this song is that it, I really liked Little Miss Cuppy Wrong as well. Mm. And this pulled the spin doctors out of one hit wonder territory. Yes. So, and I, and I really liked that idea and it, and it, pulled them into two-hit wonder territory ultimately, but still, I, I, I just, um, <clears throat> I don't know, something tickled me about the song. Um, I liked the sound of the band. Uh, then I don't quite like that sort of band sound now, but I, but I still really liked the song and I listened to it about 400 times this week and I, and I still loved it. And, um, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I'll just get to what I think about this first. Uh, because you brought up something I found quite interesting, which is I didn't think this song sounded dated at all. I thought the guitars sounded great. Like, that guitar solo sounds oh, no, great. It's, it's, just, it's just like that type of band is not something, that sound of band is something that still exists but not something I'm drawn to now. It's what bands with ponytails is what you're trying to say. <laughs> yes. Bands with yeah. ponytails and bands like with... funky bass player. That, yeah, yeah. With, with the bass, like, up around the yeah. his chin and, and, like... <laughs> That kind of I think it was fun- a five string bass as well. Yeah, oh, exactly. Okay. All of those kind of things are wrong, and there's two rack toms and the drum kit, and all of these things that are just wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, look, I, I really love this song, and it is much like uh, Runaway Train, a song that it just I intimately listen to thanks to iPods every so often, and it's great. Yeah, uh, it is a song I did learn on guitar as well, and yeah, it, it does take me back to a time, but it is. A complete joy to listen to. Yeah. Uh, lyrically, it's nonsense, or whatever. But like, not nah, just. It's got a story though, which is, and you can tell yeah. the story, and it's, and it, yeah. you know. I I could probably sing the guitar solo better than I can tell the story, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah. um, Tim Byron, what about you? Yeah, yeah. When this came out in like ninety two, ninety three, I was ten or eleven. It was a fun, upbeat pop song. I was always going to like it. I mean, it's. It's just that kind of song. Like it's for 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 at the time, like when you were about that age, if you didn't really worry too much about what was cool and what was hip and what was like authentic and all that kind of stuff, which I didn't when I was eleven, um, and don't really care about now. Yeah, it was great. There's just this fun sort of pop song that's catchy. Um, I think I probably liked Little Miss better than this one. I think Little Miss like had sort of more fun or something to me, and and I felt like I knew it better in 93 that I knew this, but yeah, this was fun. It was good listening to it now. Um, I, I kind of do feel it's dated a little in that kind of way, but I think I probably would have gone through a phase like, you know, 10 years ago or something where I would have thought this song was really, really uncool, but now I'm kind of listening to it and going, ah, oh, those are the days when songs sounded like this could get to number one. It didn't get to number one though. Well, like it could have though. <laughs> <laughs> it got to number three or something. Yeah, it did get number three, yeah. Tim Coyle, what about you? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, at the time. Yeah, I pestered my parents to buy me the the spin the spin doctor's album. And oh, did you get pocket full of crypto? I got pocket full of crypto. Nice. I also had that album. Yeah, yeah I, I only had this on single. Was yeah, basically <laughs> fast forwarded through a lot of the songs to get to this and Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. But yeah, who knew there would be a market for an unholy union between the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Leonard Skinner? <laughs> <laughs> Which you know at least has one of my oh, that, that's gold. My, gold. My, my, <laughs> has at least one of my 
guiltiest pleasures involved in it being skinned, but um, yeah, you like the Chili Peppers too. I remember from the other week. Uh, I, I like two or three songs. <laughs> yeah, like is too strong a word. And so, do you still like it to this day? I uh, yeah, I enjoyed it this week. It's yeah, it, it's kind of it. It's on that nonsense level, and look, it's it's got a good groove. It's yeah, yeah. It, it, it just not. yeah, it's one of those things that the Pitchfork set will hate with a passion and think is the worst thing on the planet. But yeah, we, but, but just, fuck them. Really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a, that like was the, kind of my thinking this week. The older I get, the more I just think yeah. the Pitchfork set. We, really, I. I <clears throat> I think we were the perfect age to love mm. a song like this, totally. weren't we? Like, if we were yeah. 17, this would have been too happy for us, mm. right? And if we were, like, eight, we would not have, un- like, loved the romanticism of it, but well, it, or the technical skill of it. But Were there, like, um, were there like 11-year-olds in, like, 2005 or 2006 when that uh, song by... Uh, what was that Australian band with the guy, the douchey guy in the front van? Skyhooks. Thistleweight. <laughs> oh, um, Thirsty Merc. Thirsty Merc. Thirsty Merc. You know that song about In the Summertime? Yeah. I'm sure, like, you know, 11 year olds in 2005 or 2006 thought that was just great in the same way that we think this is just great. Yeah. But the, <laughs> but the interesting thing about the age, the, the age thing, though, Danny, and I was, I was, so I was talking to this song, uh, talking about this song. <laughs> <You're> talking <laughs> this song. <laughs> Hello, two princes. <laughs> How are you feeling today? <laughs> anyway, dooby dooby doo. I said, uh, I said, so two princes. I have something to say, and it said, just go ahead now. And um, <laughs> hashtag, see what I did there. Um, I was talking about this song. Okay, she said, that's a, that's, a, that's a bread now. <laughs> Never do that again. <laughs> yeah. um, Hashtag you suck. So, I was talking about this song to my wife and um, and also playing the song in the car to Jarvis when we were driving somewhere, so I had my playlist going, and he loved it. He really, really liked it. And because you know that he likes the song when he says, what's this song? And um, <laughs> and so I was saying to Joe, hey, uh, Jarvis, uh, Jarvis really liked he, his new favourite song is Two Princes. Um, he really liked it. And Joe went, oh, what's not to like? And I, th- and I said, you liked this? Because Joe's a... About three years older, and by this stage, she was into like you know the Pixies and yeah, Sonic Youth and, and and all of that. But even this, she found something in it to like. She just she couldn't not like it even then when she was kind of fifteen, sixteen, um, and had already gone into the serious stuff. And she still found something in it in it to like. So it kind of even uh, broke down those kind of walls. Apparently, so yeah. How do we feel about... So there was another massive hit. Actually, I haven't looked up how far it got to, but Little Miss Can't Be Wrong was definitely the first song I've ever heard by this band and was just like, you know, a couple oh, of months yeah. before. And I, for me, I love that song oh, too. Oh, it's a great um, song. I listened to that a few times this week as well. It's a song that um, has since been slightly ruined for me where I was going out with this girl who was uh, crazy to say the least. <laughs> and then she told me once that when she was in school... People used to call it a little miss, can't be wrong. And I went, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> I, lo- I love that lyric about, I hope you heard this song and then it pissed you off. Just that, he just says, heard. Yeah. <laughs> Bob, Bob Dylan did it all the time. Yeah. So, you know. um, but mm. Little Miss Can't Be Wrong, I, yeah, I think it's a great song as well. I mean, I think 
a couple of you guys have mentioned it. Do we all feel? Uh, I'm, oh, with, yeah, I'm with Tim Byron. It's the better song. Uh, really? It's, yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. the more skinned than Red Hot Chili Peppers side of them. So yeah, of course I'm going to like that more. But yeah, I, I'm um, I probably lean towards Two Princes, but only just and it's 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 the guitar solo that that kicks. I, I got to say the guitar solo, the guitar playing in both songs is beautiful. Mm-hmm. He's a great player. Yeah. Really, really nice player. And there was another single which they did a cover of uh, Have You Ever Seen The Rain? Yeah. Did they? Yeah. Was Jimmy... Yeah. So, as the two people got the album, mm. Jimmy was Jimmy Olsen's Blues Jimmy Olsen's Blues single? was... Uh, oh, might yeah, have been, it was a yeah. yeah there was a, it didn't song. do very well. There was a live version of that as a B-side on the um, Two Princess album. Oh, right. Yeah. And it's a great song. I like that song. It was a good song, too. And it's got the lyric box. Yeah, it's, it's actually... Yeah, yeah, it's quite witty mm. in its way of just envisioning this alternate mm. Superman reality. And it's probably the thing that pushed me to buy the album above other bands at the time because... I was such a big comic book guy. And yeah. So, yeah, so someone wrote an album called Pocket Full of Kryptonite. Yeah. And the first song on it was about Jimmy Olsen. So, so yeah, like, so was that coincidental that Danny and I bought this album? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the two yeah. Comic book Maybe yeah. it is. Yeah, so it, it's interesting that Tim Cole mentioned before Red Hot Chili Peppers and Leonard Skinner, uh, because like when I was look, when I was doing research on this song for the podcast, one of the things I noticed was um, all the reviewers in the '90s, like people like Jim Derogatis and like the Rolling Stone kind of people and that kind of stuff. The the reference they mentioned was the Steve Miller Band, and it's oh, okay. totally right. Yeah. Yeah. They are the no, '90s no, Steve Miller. Yeah, Band. I see that. You yeah, know, kind that. of good time rock, kind of like you know catchy. There's doesn't really mean anything, but it's fun. It's nice and. Yeah, Steve Miliband. Yeah, that's a spot-on reference, actually. Yeah, Absolutely. I and I love Steve Miliband, so... Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> well, you know, it's better who than... D- who doesn't? Yeah. What's not to like? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's better than Ed Miliband. So, um... <laughs> look, we should move on. <laughs> Hashtag UK, UK politic humour. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I did it again. All right, I, I had two facts. One, the follow-up album to Pocket Full of Kryptonite sold over a million copies in the US. And and how much and Pocketful of Kryptonite sold like eight or nine million around the world or something, didn't it? Like yeah, from- yeah. Yeah, it, it went it went they probably sold that much in the US. Well, and, what was like, the follow up? Back cave in the Belfry or <laughs> <laughs> so, something about upside down or opposite of upside down or something like that. It, it um it, it bombed pretty much, but it, it, back in the days when bombing set meant you could still sell yeah. a million records. Yeah. And um and my other weird fact was they released the deluxe two CD edition of Pocket Full of Kryptonite a couple of years ago. Of course they did. Oh, uh, yeah. Are we going to talk about the booze cruise in the US recently, which featured the Spin Doctors quite prominently? As it was cancelled. <laughs> it was cancelled. Oh. Uh, I saw... Um, it was like the, the kind of the flotilla of lost souls on that particular <laughs> boat. I, um, I did watch a couple of recent... Uh, live <laughs> clips of them doing this, and they're actually they're still playing really well. And it's it's um it's it's quite polished now, you know. Um, it's um, but, but they're those kind of players as well. Like they're they're very technical players. So just, you know, like you say um, he's quite polished now that he now comes out in a tuxedo. No, the playing <laughs> like he's is Greg more polished. But he, he still he still sings really well. And but you know the beard is still there, but it's trimmed. <laughs> <laughs> so no roll of the dice necessary for uh, for our last song tonight. Uh, uh, Danny, talk to me. 
Oh, uh, well, that means that the only side that hasn't come up is Groundhog Day, which is Tim Byron's choice. Tim, uh, we would love to see what you chose. But before we do, let's find out what everyone thought that Tim Byron chose. Tim Coyle, what did you think that Tim chose? Yeah, I had him down for uh, Push the Little Daisies by Ween. <laughs> Great song. <laughs> Great song. Um, I thought that uh, Tim was going to go inflammatory uh, and choose Creep by Radiohead. <laughs> Well, it's not usually inflammatory, <laughs> except in this company. Well, in this company. <laughs> I chose Funky Junkie by Peter Andre. No, <laughs> Just as an aside, Funky Junkie was my joke choice that I was almost going to pull out. But uh, I chose uh, also Creep by Radiohead. Did you? Yeah, I just felt like, well, let's see where you got it right. Tim Byron, what did you choose? I chose Go West by the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> Tim Byron, why did you choose this song? Go West. I went and thought about like the the songs that I liked the most from from 1993 in the list, and I thought about what I liked most of the time. And 1993, as I kind of alluded to with um, Sleeping Satellite, it was a time when I actually wasn't paying much attention to music in a way. Like I, I'd stopped buying uh, CD singles in 93 or so because I had all these Doctor Who novels to buy. <laughs> and so I, I, I couldn't buy the CD singles because I had to buy all of those instead. And I, I mean, I bought a hundred of them. So I was really dedicated to buying these Doctor Who novels. So I wasn't paying that much attention to pop music in 93. And so the songs I probably would have chosen would have been number ones like, um, you know, River of Dreams or the Meatloaf song and stuff like that. And I looked through the rest of the list and this was the song that, that did it for me, um, the, the one that I liked the best. I think as a, you know, as a kid, I think I liked the kind of utopian nature of it, that, you know, that there was this some better place that was out west somewhere and you could go there and life would be peaceful there. You know, I think I related to that and I related to the... <laughs> What, Perth? (laughs) (laughs) Or Bonnie Rig? I lived near Bonnie Rig. That was a west for me. And so what about South? Tim Coyle, what about about you? Uh, Go West. I've always had a soft spot for the Pet Shop Boys. Um, You're Always On My Mind is Mm. a a favourite song of mine from being a kid. And uh, Casey's spoken a couple of times about electronic music not and explain like his um his relationship with electronic music 
as a kid, I really liked a lot of electronic music. So You're Always On My Mind or Johnny and Mary by Robert Palmer were two of my favourite songs as a kid. And it was something by the time this came out was a little on the wane. But for some reason, because it was the Pet Shop Boys, I, I didn't mind this at all. And yeah, listening to it this week, I think it's a really interesting cover and I really enjoyed it. Um, just the the spin that they put on this song, changing it from, well, I mean, they're not changing it as a disco standard. It's obviously still a club song, but they it's definitely they, more electronic. Yeah, they get they give a very distinct twist to it. Like the way that French horn sound is played up, um, made much more prominent. That it's just this very spacious. Um, spacious song and there's a yearning there and it's something that's conveyed in Neil Tennant's voice that it is this very restrained button-down thing um, that yeah there's this yearning in it I really enjoyed it I think yeah it's it's a great cover and yeah um, kind of con- continuing my um, my big soft spot for the Pet Shop Boys it's yeah it was pleasant to hear it again this week something I'd completely forgotten about Casey Atkins. I've got to tread really carefully here because um, one of my really good friends um, who is a very big fan of this podcast is the biggest Pet Shop Boys fan that I know and he's going to be I, – I, I can just see it in him <laughs> right now. He's going to go – Come, come on, at, come on, Atkins. What do you got to say? <laughs> Should we just leave a little bit of more anticipation for him right now? And Casey, um, you know what? This this song in in '93, I kind of went beyond the my my hatred of dance music because it was so much fun that it it pushed through that, and it was almost. There's there's something almost parody-ish about this song, like something almost. Um, I mean, it, it, it it's so camp. You just mm. kind of have fun with it, and I just remember again school discos. You mm. just kind of get into it despite yourself, you know. Mm. Um, and I sort of feel the same about it now. I never really got into the Pet Shop Boys. I I've certainly never had a problem with them, and. It's really interesting. One of those the, those things in into adulthood, meeting a lot of people who are just so incredibly into the Pet Shop Boys. I was like, really? Okay, cool, fine, <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's fine. And 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 didn't really understand that so many people were were that into them and that, that they were that huge. But um, yeah, I enjoyed listening to it again this week, and it was another one that uh, uh, that Jarvis really liked listening to in the car. <laughs> I said to him, actually, I said, uh, this is the Pet Shop Boys. Have you ever heard of the Pet Shop Boys before? He said, no, I've heard of the Beach Boys. (laughs) (laughs) And that's Um, another one I'll get to. (laughs) uh, I I guess I'm like you, Casey, in that, you know, when I first heard this song, I was not really that interested in electronica or campiness, really. Mm. Um, But it was so fun, and the film clip was so fun, and the dressing up. And uh, if there's one thing that I've never not appreciated about the... Like, I've always appreciated about the Pet Shop Boys is Neil Tennant's voice. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, here we go, West. Yeah. He's just got freaking... And I'll talk more about that later. But um, listening to it this week, 
Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll just hint it at that, that the Pet Shop Boys have become more important to me as the years gone on, and I've fallen in love with Bilingual and Barry, and, and I think they are probably much like the people you talked about, Casey, an amazing band. Mm. And this isn't necessarily one of those reasons why they're an amazing band, because it is a fun, silly, kitchen sink and everything else cover of a Village People song. And it is fun, but I do find myself skipping this song when it comes onto my iPod, although it's still there. So mm. uh, listening to it again to talk about it this week, yeah, it is a lot of fun, but it's not its not a high point in the Pet Shop Boys' career. And, but, yeah, it's a bit of a fine thing. And if I saw them in concert and they played the song, it would be like, yeah, cool. Yeah. Tick that box. So that's me for the Pet Shop Boys. But I, well, for that song, but should we talk about the Pet Shop Boys and how much we knew about them? I mean, do we even, like, they're such strange guys um, and their strange image in that time. Like, I mean, they're so super camp and... Well, they, they had that very futurist thing going on with this film clip end around the time insofar as all the computer generated mm, it's very kind of craft yeah. it and is kind of yeah. yeah and it also is it's an odd fit with this song which is it's, it's go west i mean we're talking about american history sexuality um with this particular one but yeah just kind of the frontier imagery mm. and stuff like that that it's a really interesting contrast between that very um futuristic um Shtick that they had going on at the time, and but and the actual content of the song, which the village people were playing up a bit more, uh, yeah, with, with what they were doing. Mm. I, I think with um, Go West, the thing about the song is that for the village people, like it was a song about San Francisco, which is quite famous, famously, obviously, the, the gay capital of America, and it's a song about going to this place where you'll be accepted, where like it's the place for you that you can go west, and like. Like Tim Coyle just mentioned, like, Go West is, like, it's got that kind of um, the frontier kind of mentality of the US. And apparently, like, the phrase, Go West, young man, was coined in, like, the 1850s and was kind of a really well-known phrase uh, even before there was the movie with Mae West in it in the 30s. And, um, like, but, yeah, with the video, with all the futuristic stuff, there's lots of um, communist imagery as well. And so it's got that kind of double meaning of not just go to San Francisco, but it could also be, you know, go from from the east, from, from the communist Russian bloc uh, and go west, go, you know, in, enjoy the fruits of capitalism and, and all that. It's got all that kind of resonance to it. And so listening to it now, I can hear some of that in it. The other thing with this song for me is, um, like listening to it now, it's totally a Beach Boys song. Yeah, like, underneath, this all, song. underneath yeah. all the electronics and stuff yeah. like that, it's got like a Beach Boys melody. It's got a Beach Boys sort of bunch of chords. It's yeah, it's a Beach Boys song I was, underneath I was, the. Yeah. I was actually going to say that when I talked about the the French horn sound, that it's kind of it's mm. it's it's got that when I talked about the yearning, mm. the God only knows mm. French horn. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. it's right there, front and center. Yeah, the, and they're both basically songs about California. This and every Beach Boys song. Mm. <laughs> so can I can I bring up something about the I mean the obvious campiness of it and yeah. and, and that yeah. kind of thing? I I'm going to read a quote. The quote's from our very own Tim Byron. <laughs> from episode one of 90% Hits. <laughs> Tim Byron said, I look back at when I was eight or so and I had the gayest taste in music. I really liked Elton John. I really liked Madonna. I really liked Queen. I really liked George Michael. I don't know why I'm not gay, really. <laughs> and when you picked the Pet Shop Boys for this, this just popped into my mind. It was the first thing. And I was like, well, there you go. 
<laughs> well, yeah, when you think about my choices in the Choose Your Own Adventures, I have chosen. Um, but my first choice was Elton John's Sacrifice. Then I chose um, Cream by Prince. And Prince isn't exactly the most macho of guys. Yeah. Um, he's a bit androgynous <laughs> as far as things go. And then then Quinn. it was um, Freddie Mercury. Yeah. And now Pet Shop Boys. Right. Um, a- as the 90s go on and you'll see my choices, you'll see that I start to discover... Um, hormones and, and testosterone and my cho- my taste go elsewhere. But at this point, I was, this is 93, I was still 11. I, um, I wasn't really, I wasn't in high school yet like you guys all were. And so I was just a happy little kid um, listening to fun pop music. And I, I, I mean, I didn't actually know what the word gay meant at this time. I, I don't think I'd ever really come across that. And I don't think I'd ever really thought about that at all until I got to high school and, you know, there were uh, other kids in the grade saying, you're gay. And I'm like, well, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, so- and uh, I don't, I don't know whether they'd been looking through, um, you know, my taste in music. somehow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I look forward to in the year 2000 talking about spinning around by Kylie Minogue. Well, it was, uh, it was something, it was something I was going to bring up in that enjoying this song, but, not openly enjoying this song because <laughs> <laughs> so you enjoyed this song in the closet. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Not that there's anything wrong. Not with that, that there's anything wrong. With that. We were in high school by this stage, and look, I, I was originally going to say growing up where I grew up homophobia being what it is, but that's not true. I think growing up anywhere in Australia at the time, mm. that was going to be a case, yeah. and yeah, I, I'd already had been exposed to uh, look uh, uh, being kind of a, a quiet yeah. odd kid you yep. get that thrown at you for, oh. for no mm. reason at all and hey i i played music through high school yeah. of course i was say right. apparently mm. yeah even 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 if you're a, a straight kid growing up and having that thrown at you it means that totally. yeah appreciation of the pet shop boys has to be buried a bit mm. and, well yeah it's, it's a little bit of a shame because i really sure. do like that band okay well I'm, I'm i'm just gonna say this i don't know if pet shop boys were that camp until this song like this is pretty camp but until this song like you know yeah. it's a sin and all that sort of stuff uh, yeah they were a dance duo like Yaz or something like you know they then they had all those fantastic white album covers mm-hmm. you know where Neil Tennant is yawning and stuff they were George Michael but they weren't Camp uh, I don't know I th- this song and then th- this follow up single of absolutely fabulous just turned them into something else which, which we discovered as a teenager mm. and so I guess what I want to know like especially from Tim Byron I guess is that yeah Camp music is fun I'm not saying it's it's not anything but is this Indicative of what you like about the Pet Shop Boys? Um, for me, I think um, just just on that thing of camp, like I think the first Pet Shop Boys song that I was sort of aware of was their cover of Where the Streets Have No Name that was sort of with the bit of Can't Take My Eyes Off You. And that was pretty campy. It wasn't really? like quite as openly so. camp as this. The film but clip was really awesome and sort of futuristic, yeah. but it wasn't, it wasn't like a... Uh, and it was definitely dance music, but it wasn't yeah. that village people vibe, and it was really kind of cold. It was Bowie-esque, really. Yeah. And, and yeah. obviously, well, I mean, they did the song with Bowie, uh, mm. Hello Space Boy, which is great, mm. uh, in 96 or so, and I, I enjoyed that then. So I guess um, that was something I liked when it was really bad to be gay in high school when I was, um, you know, in year 10 or whatever. See, androgynous, think, uh, androgynous and camp are two different things for me. So and being androgynous and, yeah. and I guess from an Australian perspective, 
European. Uh, it's not. <laughs> it's not like you know. That's the Bowie thing, but that's different from what this song is. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, this song is obviously one of their more campy ones. Um, the the most recent issue of uh, Mojo, which I bought in England. Um, for some light plane reading, um, has an interview with Neil Tennant and he talks about coming out in 94 or so, like probably not too long after this. And, um, and I mean, it was the coming out and everybody kind of knew he was gay anyway, but it was made official kind of thing. Um, but he said that it was terrible for their career, um, especially in the U S because it meant that they would only market the Pet Shop Boys to the gay ghetto, basically. Right. Whereas before that, like they were just marketed as a pop band that everyone liked after that, when people knew that he was gay, um, they would only market it to those particular audiences because they figured everyone else would have been turned off them. And there's that funny statistic that um, a, a gay male solo artist has never had a number one album in the US. Really? Not that yeah, we, an openly not, gay. Not that we know of, yeah. Oh, well. Um, yeah. Like, and that, like, Elton obviously had number ones, like, b- before anyone knew, but, like, since he came out, he's never had a number one album mm. in the US and no one else has. So I was thinking, uh, so Ricky Martin, was that all, did he ever get to number one in the US? But he wasn't, he only came out last three, like, four years. Right? Really recently, not, yeah. If not one year, yeah. so yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. But like, yeah, it really sucks. Yeah. But the American charts are full of, oh, like, yeah. you know, there's one other thing for me. Uh, Doctor Who has come up for a few times with Tim Byron, and there's actually a very clear connection between Doctor Who and the Pet Shop Boys. Do you know what that is, Tim Byron? No. Uh, when the man who uh, became David Tennant uh, wanted to join the Actors Guild, he had to choose an original name, and so he chose right. the last name Tennant because he loves the Pet Shop Boys. That's uh-huh. not his real name. So David Tennant is really? named after Neil Tennant. So... There we go, tying it all back together. That brings us to the end of another podcast. But uh, as we do with these choose your own adventures, let's just uh, run through a few of our sort of honourable mentions from this year. Songs that we didn't get to talk about and don't talk about. I'm not sure if there is a song as glaringly missed out as Smells Like Teen Spirit Mm. this year. Casey, what did you choose for your honourable mentions? So Tim Byron mentioned um, The Wait by Jimmy Barnes and the Bad Loves. And I was, <laughs> look, I was so desperate to have an excuse to talk about The Bad Loves on this podcast because they were and sort of r- remain probably my sentimental favourite Australian band, especially from the 90s, um, in amongst other bands like UMI and even and those kind of guys. But the, but the Bad Loves were, you know, meant a lot more to me than... Rat Cat and, and a lot of those other kind of bands. And so I really, really wanted an excuse to talk about them. Unfortunately, some of their biggest songs like Lost or um, Green Limousine didn't get onto these these lists. In that breath, I didn't want to talk about the cover of uh, a cover of The Weight and I didn't want to talk about Jimmy Barnes. So, <laughs> so for that reason, they um, they lost out. So other things on, on my honourable mentions, um, the acoustic version of Layla um, I had on single was a hit that year and I thought it was great. Um, no rain by Blind Melon. I had no rain on my I, list. I know, well. just I just thought with um, acoustic version of Layla. I know you're not mentioning the the acoustic version of Tears in Heaven as was, well. Was the B side, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is probably the more well known song of the two at that time. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Anything else, Casey? Uh, yeah, Never Miss Your Water by Diesel. 
<laughs> um, another ex- another potential excuse for uh, a late show parody would have been "Happy Birthday, Helen" by Things of Stone and Wood. <laughs> oh, and, and thank you for bringing that up because now we will post that on the yeah. blog. <laughs> um, and another kind of random one, which was a song called um, "Do You Remember If I Ever Fall in Love" by Shy. It no. was a um, they were like this R and B group, and it was a full acapella um, song, and I just remember loving it. I might post that on the blog just just for the hell. There you go. So well, that's me. Tim Byron? Well, out of Casey's ones, um, I, they were all ones I thought he might have picked and um, <laughs> I went for the bad loves because I knew he loved the bad loves. Yeah. But it was weird, like, with the um, – my, my gut was two princes and then I, I, you know, overruled my gut and I shouldn't have. But, uh, yeah, for me, the um, honourable mentions, Shoop by Salt and Pepper. Nice. Yeah. Which um, I really thought about, but I figured, oh, well, we've done salt and pepper already, I guess, and uh, so uh, I talked myself out of that one. Uh, creep, yeah. Everyone sort of seemed to think I'd do creep, and um, yeah, creep at the time was a song that you know I liked it well enough. But in my head, like the the main thing about creep and no rain was that I really noticed, like when I was watching Rage and stuff, that they were always in about the same place going up and down the charts. Like I, I could only imagine that like people would go into record stores and see No Rain and then see Creep next to it and go, oh yeah, I like that one too. I'm going to get that as well because like if you look at them in the charts, they're always about in the same place. So all the positive people bought No Rain. All the all the depressed people bought Creep. And- <laughs> Never to the and, um, Yeah, which one yeah. killed himself? <laughs> yeah, <true. laughs> which one should have been? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, um, and another... Well, that was oh, Danny. that was inevitable. <laughs> and that's why I didn't choose creep. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you don't choose creep. <laughs> and another song that I really liked that um, I thought about choosing was "If I Had No Loot" by Tony Tony Tony. Wasn't it just With Tony, Tony 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 Tony? Yeah. Was yeah. it just Tony Tony? Tony. Oh, I always thought it was Tony because of the E with the thing on it. No, but, um, that's like a great Tony. kind of neo Motown kind of thing. That's a nice kind of nice kind of song. So I, I thought about that one. That's like me saying I really enjoy the movies of Kate Blanchet. Uh, <laughs> Tim Coyle. Uh, yeah, I had no rain yeah. as well, and uh, also Shoop, which I oh. passed over over for the same reasons Tim Byron did that we've already, already done about yeah. Salt and Pepper and quite a bit of detail as well. Um, other ones were Jump Around by yep. House of Pain, yep. Beauty, and Bad Boys by Inner Circle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of the ones that is that because Cops is your favourite TV show too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, just me. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely had a lot of the ones that uh, other people chose. Uh, on top of those, I would definitely have to say, What's Up, I Fought on Blondes? Hey, it was a song that I loved back in the day. It was that perfect sort of alternative thing. Uh, I really quite liked the show The Heights, and so I have that. Uh, I idiot. almost picked that for you. I thought you may have done it. It's great. How do you talk to an angel? Yeah. Um, and uh, No Rain, I think that's the one that's been on all of our lists. Yeah. Um, oh, What a Night. Uh, Frank which, Belling. you know, yeah, like we did last time with, mm, with Bohemian Rhapsody, is definitely a song too. that I loved back in the day. And uh, I guess the most glaring mission for me, and the one that I almost chose, was Killing in the Name of, mm. uh, which I chose for Tim Coyle instead because I thought maybe his politics would win out. It is definitely <laughs> uh, an amazing, amazing song and... Just how is everything everything that band's ever done? Even though I love a lot of things that band's done, but yeah, Killing in the Name of. A, to- a song that will never be forgotten. So, Well, to perform as well as it did in the charts, being the kind of song it is, is yeah, it's amazing. looking at it now mm. is yeah, quite 
mind-boggling, but there you go. And so just to wrap up, let's go around the room and see, uh, excluding your own choices, what everyone's favourite songs that we chose tonight were. Uh, let's just go over the list again. Casey, you chose. Uh, Two Princes. Tim Coyle. Uh, Slipping Satellite. Tim Byron. Go West. And Danny Hour, what did you choose? Uh, and I chose Runaway Train. So what is everyone's favourite? Casey Atkins. Oh, man. That's really tough. You mentioned, as we were talking about this this week, that these choices were quite an interesting selection of songs, aren't they? It, not- it is a really interesting selection of songs. Um, what I continually come back to to, to choose my favourite of the of the night when we do a podcast is the song that I reacted most to during the week, um, and for that reason, it actually goes to Sleeping Satellite. Wow! Yeah! Wow! Tim Coyle. Uh, Two Princes. Tim Byron? Two Princes. And I'll have to go with Two Princes as well. So Casey (laughs) Atkins is... (laughs) 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 And that brings us to a close of another 90% Hits. Well done, Casey Atkins, for winning the really terribly unimpressive prize. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to tell people where they can find us on the internet? Absolutely. You can find us on uh, Tumblr. We post a lot on the Tumblr blog. Um, You can... Follow us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can email us um, when 90% hits at gmail.com and when 90% hits on uh, all of those other forums, uh, percent spelled out in words. Uh, and please leave us a comment, leave us a message, uh, leave us something on on iTunes. We've been reading all the comments and we respond as much as we can. And we really love hearing from you guys. Uh, we've also started putting up surveys on the Tumblr so you can tell us what songs you loved best and we'd like yeah it's really funny to see what people choose as well and the call is still out there if somebody can think of an official sign off for us as well. <laughs> yes mm-hmm. uh yes because we don't know how to do this thing. uh yeah uh and you know what the, the person who comes up with it wins a prize i'm sure we can rustle up some sort of uh you and my merch or something like that just to give away so uh look and until we get that sign off uh thank you for listening listen to Soul Asylum or the replacements I just laugh uncontrollably this is a pretty funny song um uh (laughs) (laughs) we broke him god that was quick I think you broke a tip (laughs) yeah alright okay I, I just see that um, that sign coming in saying technical issues. Okay.
Okay.